Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. Welcome to the show. This week we have Liz Rose. I've known Liz a very long time, knew her back in the 90s when she first came to town, and um, knew her way before she even started working with Taylor Swift. Yeah, I mean, she's worked with Taylor. She's written huge songs for Little Big Town, um, Eli Young Band. I mean, she's just had a huge success, won Grammys, ACM, CMAs. I'm really excited for the listeners to hear her story. Do you remember kind of when we first kind of bumped paths that Warner Chapel back in the late 90s? Yeah, but actually, I think I was a plugger then. Yeah, yes, you were. I was a plugger then. I wasn't. Yeah, who were you Who were you working with at that time? Hmm. I think I had, I was working independent for Kent Blazy and Will Robinson and Jason Bloom. That's where we met each other, because when I was independent, I was plugging for Kent Blazy. Yeah. And back in the 92. Okay, and then he, yeah, I must have come after you. Yeah. So, um... And then, you know, I had an independent plugging company and and then I got, you know, started a, a company with, uh, I had King Lizard Publishing. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. And then I started writing. Yeah, that's great. I forgot all about you coming from the plugging world. But but you come from Texas, right? Mm-hmm. What was that background? Were you writing then? I mean, what made you come to Nashville from Texas? Oh, gosh. Well, no, I wasn't writing. We just, my ex at the time, well, he wasn't my ex at the time. But so I guess he would have been my husband at the time. He's my ex now. Um, we, <laughs> um, oh, good times. We decided. <laughs> hey, I said I got no secrets. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But um, he was a, a, a writer. And um, we just decided to move to Nashville we loved it we had a lot of friends here so when we got here I kind of um my kids went got in school like a year in and I just decided I want to I wanted to work and you know somebody hired me to be a song plugger so I took that job and and then um you know I started my own company and started a plugging company and then I had another company and I started writing with one of my writers and just kind of fell into it yeah, that's good, man. Because a lot of a lot of people don't understand what that first thing to reach your goal is just jumping off a cliff. I'm always jumping off a cliff. Ask Lori and Hillary. I'm always the first one to jump off the cliff. Yeah, and <laughs> so so early on when you had your independent company, is that when you ran across? I mean, because a lot of people don't know this, but you were a big part of Taylor Swift getting developed kind of getting to that next level, helping her kind of find her way, you know, to get started. Was that part of all that time frame? No, I was writing for Jody Williams then. Okay. Jody had Jody had heard a couple of songs that I had written with um, another writer and he talked me into being a songwriter. And so he signed me to a, a deal and made me write songs and and that's how I I met Taylor. But that's awesome. I mean, where did that transition happen? Come in. I mean, when did you just go, "Hey, I'm going to start writing." When Jody told me he'd pay me to do it. <laughs> but had you never written <laughs> a song before? Amazing that? answer. <laughs> uh, very few. I'd never written really. I'd written a couple of songs as a joke, you know. Yeah. But never really written until I started writing with Kim McLean, Kim Patton. Yeah. Um, I wrote a couple of songs with her, and and then 
Jody heard those songs and called me and said, I think you're a songwriter. That's awesome. And so this was later in life when you started writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was probably about 38. Oh, my gosh. Then he said he'd pay me to do it. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, then I'll do it. And and how long can I make this thing last? Yeah, That's always a good motivator, getting paid. Yeah. Well, when you're single, because by then I was divorced. So I was, you know, single again. So I needed the money. You know, it's like, okay. So All right, you met Taylor through Jody, or? Well, I met her. She was, um, she remember, she was on RCA for at first. And so it's so funny because I, I, things always happen when I do something that I really don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And they were doing that. Remember the RLG Cafe? Yep. Which I had never sung in front of people before. Um, so I went over there to sing two songs for whoever was there, and she happened to be there. And Leslie Roberts had been trying to set us up, you know, but um, Taylor was at that deal and just asked me if I would, I wanted to write because she liked my songs. Now, at that time, she was like, what, 12, 13? I think she was 13. Yeah. And um, so y'all started writing, and then she left RCA. Mm-hmm. And did you keep writing to, Absolutely. Help, to help build that for the next pitch? I, I just kept writing with her because I loved writing with her. I didn't care what she did. Yeah. I, I knew she'd do something. I mean, her drive was was just unbelievable and her her passion and and her talent and it was easy and and i think by then by then she may have quit co-writing with anyone but me um that's always a good thing yeah that was good yeah (laughs) that was good yeah so they had that little transition she got her deal and and y'all had a great run of hits Mm -hmm, we did y'all had a massive run of hits and um, did you ever go on the road? Did you ever do those kind of things with her and write? Or did you always have a, a rhythm here in town? We didn't. I went out and I went out on the road to see a show. And that's where we wrote Fearless. But what's so funny is that when she was out on the road and, and doing the bus thing before it got so huge that she didn't have any time at all. And she she wrote a lot by herself on the road, but I broke my foot in Key West, and and I and I, I remember this. Do you I was, remember that? I was there. I remember yeah. this. <laughs> you just said that. I remember that. I broke my foot in Key West, and I think that was kind of the time frame when you could go out. I, you know, it was not so crazy out there that I could have jumped on the bus. And gone out, but I was on crutches for like six months. So, no. But, you know, she was writing a lot by herself on the bus, and there was a very short time frame when she might have had time to do that. But very quickly, she got huge and busy, and that show was growing. So, yeah, we never did that. Well, what were your first um, handful of hits you wrote with her? Uh, Gosh, Tim McGraw. um, Teardrops on my guitar. Teardrops on my guitar. Um, you belong with me. You belong, yeah. You belong with me was on Fearless, which Fearless. Um, you know, a lot of those, this my favorite songs weren't ever singles, like Cold Is You and um, Picture to Burn, yeah, and uh, White Horse, which mm-hmm. won a Grammy, so that was fun. Well, the Tim McGraw song that, that was always a cool moment when she sang it at the awards. That was amazing. And walked up to him and goes, "Hey, I'm Taylor." That that, that was a classic moment. Yeah. I mean, is is that the type of person, you know, she is? I mean, because to do that, that young and just 
I, I guarantee, yeah, that's the way she thinks. She doesn't sit back and go, there are boundaries here. She She's more like, you know what would be cool? If I just walk off the stage and walk up to Tim McGraw and sing to him. Nobody, I mean, what was she, 15? Right. Yep. Who who has that? Who's got that moxie to know that you could just you know? So she made things exciting again, and and she grew real fast. Yes, she did. I mean, I, I remember seeing her at Fanfare when she was on RCA, and then seeing her when Tim when McGraw she played came. Riverfront. Yes, or wait, maybe Riverfront was no. when she Tim, Tim McGraw was coming out. So yeah, I, I just remember that, and and she was struggling, and then boom. She yeah. was a superstar, you yeah. know, and that's part of her confidence, I believe. Well, when Tim McGraw came out, when the first single came out, I saw her play Riverfront at CMA Fest. And when she walked out on that stage, she had on, you know, the dress that would that was flowing just the right way. Her hair was flying. She walked out there with a guitar and her boots and without saying it, looked at all those people and said, look here and don't look away because you're going to remember this forever. And I remember that day. It was unreal. I was like, holy cow. I'd never seen her perform. And man, she just she just took it over. So you started out as a song plugger, mm-hmm. worked your way into being a songwriter. Now you're working your way into being a publisher and, and finding talent and signing it mm-hmm. as well as writing as well. I mean, you've done these three facets of the business. I mean, is there one you enjoyed a little more than the other or is, or is it all kind of a different beast for you? Well, I love the publishing because I love to see writers see their dreams come true if that's corny it's what it is um so there's nothing like watching a writer have their first number one and being there to you know to know that you helped and and to see them so just blown away i mean there's there's nothing like it in the world um but i i love writing you know so I love that part too. Well, we just shared a number one uh, recently. You know, drowns to whiskey. Mm-hmm. You know Jeff that Middleton. I yeah that I cut on uh, Jason, and you know now Jeff had a real job. You know, and then he wrote that song, and then it went number one. So that's got to be what you're talking about the, the excitement uh, of watching somebody lift like that. Yeah, that was that is that is just you know because I watched him struggle and and uh, give up and go get a job. And so, um, you know, the day he took that job was the day he found out um, that the song had been cut. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that, was, that was a cool moment. And I have to say, side note, your plaque was amazing. The uh, plaque that your company made uh, uh, for that, that thing. Was it cool? It was amazing. Everybody was talking about that. Everybody wanted that plaque. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Hey, this is Liz Rose, and you're listening to Knox Country Podcast. What was the first number one that your company had? It might have been I'm Coming Over. Um, Chris Young, Corey Crowder wrote it. Yeah. Might have been I'm Coming Over, and, and then, I don't know, maybe, well, Girl Crush went to two. Hooked went to two. Um, Girl Crush went to two. Uh-huh. It's okay. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's all the but same it, but thing. It was well, a, no, I'm it just was shocked. A, yeah. Oh yeah, it went to but two. But it was a huge song. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, 
Like, yes. wait a CMA minute. song of the year. Yes. Grammy country Grammy. song of the year. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Well, you learn something new every day. It's just it's just weird how Who those says things who's fall. the first loser? Come it on. It doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> but before we move on, kinda kinda tell me how that girl crush came about, you know. Uh just you know, we do our love junkie thing, me and Hillary Lindsay and Lori McKenna, and we spend three days at my house and slumber party for three days. It was just it was an idea Lori had and she thought it would be cool and she had the idea in her head. It just took sitting down and Hillary to start playing the four, you know, Hillary literally just sat down and started playing the first four lines of it. And we jumped on the couch and went, that's what we were thinking. And it went so fast. It was like, yeah, and the girl, and she wants to be the girl. And I mean, it, it we wrote it really fast. So name the name the group. What's the gang y'all are part of? It's called, oh, we're called the Love Junkies. The Love Junkies. Do y'all got merch? Yes, we do. <laughs> I'll send you some. That's amazing. I mean, um, <laughs> That's I'll wear amazing. that. I'll wear that all day. And y'all day. literally have slumber parties. I mean, you guys get we together. We literally have slumber. I mean, not as much as we used to. Yeah. You know, Hillary has a, a young one, and but um, we try. We try and do at least a couple of nights, and um, but we do spend three days together writing. But what a perfect fit that song with that band. What oh, a, what a perfect amazing. fit! I, I mean, I really don't know. I'm trying to think in my head. I, I, I'm, I'm sure Carrie could have made a jab at it and, and Code Miranda, but when you see them do it, it's a whole different deal. That you know, that that's awesome. Well, they, they picked up on that, you know, because we just they came over that afternoon and wanted to know what we'd been writing, and we played them that, and they just went, "Oh my gosh, that's." We're going to play it for the guys, and that's it. That's ours. We're going to do it. Was there any, like, pushback from anyone on that song? Like, did anyone say, oh, it might be a little... I don't think so. Gay or... I don't think so. I mean, I know that there wasn't pushback from Jay Joyce, from the label, from anybody that heard it. Um, You know, I think as they got into it, there was there was some station that said... But, I don't know, I, I think we got... They, everybody got through it, and... Um, just realized for the sake of the song and and really it's like you know Bobby Bones said he told people just listen to it exactly you know so not being a songwriter what's your favorite song you you know that that you've got to be a part of not being a songwriter yeah I mean would it be a drowns the whiskey oh yeah or would would it be, be it would be drowns the whiskey and it would be every little thing I think it's all you know Tell me about that. I love and I love Chris Young, so it's been really fun to be part of those. But seeing Emily Shackleton, you know, eight years in and finally gets her first number one. Yeah, and those are cool moments I, coming from the publishing world and watching writers go to that other place is amazing. It's, yeah, and I mean, like having Seth Ennis as an artist, but he gets a, you know, has a hit on Hooked with, um, you know. So it's pretty. It's it's fun. It's it's fun. And and and, it, and it, at a certain time we had like six songs on the charts, you know. And we're an independent, so it's like when you and then when it kind of goes, you go, okay, what's going on? You know, yeah. <laughs> when is that happening again? And it, you know, it always comes back around. So who are your current writers right now? Uh, Phil Barton, love, <laughs> <laughs> Emily Shackleton, Cameron Bedell, Seth Ennis. Alyssa Michaela. Is that it? I yeah. always forget somebody. But this is something you started all by yourself. And well, not all by myself. My son 
uh, Scott, um, my business partner and my son, Scott Ponce. Um, basically, I didn't, I was out of a deal and didn't really know where I wanted to go because it was one of those deals where I, I still, I really needed a publisher and I really needed guidance, you know, and a champion. And so it was kind of during right, you know, in the Taylor Swift days where, you know, I, I didn't want to sign with somebody just because they thought they were going to get Taylor Swift songs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I was like really not knowing where I wanted to go. So I had Scott come move back to town and, and said, why don't you pitch songs, pitch my songs? And then I handed him a computer. I got remarried and moved to Dallas and said, <laughs> call this person and this person. See ya. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and he literally, he met Emily Shackleton, called me and said, I think we should sign this writer. And that's how we ended up having a publishing company. We never, you know, people talk about proposals and all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, just do it. Yeah. I mean. And, and he wasn't in the business before. No. No. But that's he's, incredible. And he's incredible. Yeah. So then we, we signed Emily, and then I think we signed, uh, I can't, we, but, you know, we, yeah, we're yeah. eight years in, and, and, uh, but it sounds like your whole journey has been like that. It an accident? Kinda, yeah, well, and, and just this felt right. <laughs> this yeah. feels right. Let's I jumped off a cliff. Yeah. 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 It's, pretty much. Pretty much. So it's been good. And no, I, no, that, that's the awesome story that people need to hear because the reason we have you here not only as being a songwriter but also being a publishing business owner, showing people those different elements of how to own your own product, how to go to the next level, using everything you've been using to get to that next place. Yeah, I mean, we're always, we're constantly learning. I mean, the business is changing so much, but the core of it doesn't, and that's songs. So, yeah. You got to take care of songwriters and make sure great songs are out there so that the the business of music continues to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've written one of my favorite Leanne Womack songs, The Wrong Girl. The Wrong Girl. Oh my God, I love that song I so much. I love it's It's in my Spotify playlist. Is it? Like I love that song. I wrote it with Pat McLaughlin. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. It's, so what, it was there a funny story or a special story? It was just kind of one of those things that just... He just turns things so well. And I think I just had the idea of you got the wrong girl. You know, I, I don't, it just, it wouldn't have turned out like that if I'd written it with anybody mm-hmm. but Pat. Yeah. You know, Pat has such a great spin on things. Now you, do you play an instrument? No. See, and that's another Barely. fascinating thing. I'm, I'm learning guitar, yeah. But that's what fascinates me. It's like you weren't a songwriter. You know, yeah, and then I wasn't you're, a songwriter. I'm gonna, I'm a song. Now you're an amazing songwriter, and it's like you didn't feel, you know, the pressure to have to learn, you know, an instrument or anything like that. It's, no, you just embrace the fact that I have these ideas. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I'm good. I can rhyme. See? <laughs> well, but a good thing, a good thing from the past that I remember is you were a good critiquer, and that's a good person to have in the room too. Yeah, somebody that goes, "Hey guys, this isn't complete. This needs to be pushed a little." Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Or you need a bridge, and why don't you say this? Yeah, that's probably how I fell into it. Yeah, was fixing songs. It was always that that red flag feeling, you know, that when you're listening to a writer's songs, you kind of go eh, somewhere, mm-hmm. and you go, "Yeah, something's." 
something's not right there. What if you fix that? Yeah. Of course, I don't ever want anybody telling me that, but. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I edit the songs, yeah. not you. Yeah, that's my part. Knox Country. Podcast edition. Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame, back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. Well, I mean, I mean, is there another place you're wanting to go now that you've the publishing thing is successful, the songwriting thing successful, you, you were a successful plugger? Is there a fourth element to this that you want to do? Yeah, I want to go to the beach. <laughs> no, you know what? Is there, no, is there I, a way to make money doing that? Because okay, I'll be right there you with you. Find it. You are good uh, at finding so. ways. No, actually, I think what we're more than anything is developing artist writers, still developing new writers. You know, I'm a firm believer in still signing baby writers yeah. and developing them, and not a lot of people in town are doing yeah. that. You know, so well they are, but well the independent companies have to because have to. they can't compete. Like, if I like a writer and then all of a sudden Warner Chapel and Sony are liking them, they're going to outbid me. I know. You know, so it's tough to get that. So I know when I sign a writer, you know, over at Pier, then I know that they want to be there, you know, because there are people offering more money. So those are always the challenge on Music Row. It's true. It is hard. So, you know, I think we're we're getting more into, you know, artist, writer, management, just in the publishing world of developing them developing a writer artist to get them ready for a deal yeah um and it's it is something i don't know how to do and i'm trying and it's really hard (laughs) it's really hard can you tell me how you do that (laughs) um you know and i tend to i mean like seth we you know seth ennis got a deal really quick um it, it, and you know it's it's the females i gravitate to the female writer artists and um man i am pushing that boulder uphill right now but it's okay yeah it is tough. it's okay i love it it's you know when something breaks it's it's gonna be amazing yeah. but that's how it's supposed to happen anyway that that's where the special ones come from are the ones that earn it and fight that fight yeah but they they don't and, and the avenue we don't have the avenues you know i was talking about this the other day you know, you remember how many girls got their record deals off singing demos? Oh, yeah. And 90s, that doesn't yeah. exist anymore. No. So now they've got to be a songwriter to get anything heard. Or a touring artist. Yeah. That, that, that is touring in a, in a market kind of made for a college campus. Yeah. Which is difficult for some of those, you know, female artists to kind of yeah. go attack, you know, Georgia University. Yeah. I, I mean, know, it's hard on the, the young guys, too. But yeah. But for some reason, it's, you know, it's just, it's Why just do you think different. that is? Because it's, there can be an abundance of young male artists and more kind of find their way through. But if there are a lot of females, you're kind of, you're almost done. I just think there's a lot of boys that will jump in a van with a bunch of boys and drive around the country and, you know, sleep on couches and sleep in vans. It's, you know, I don't want to say life. it's harder for a girl, but it, it let's be realistic it's tough and how many mothers are going to let their 18 19 year old daughter jump in a van with a bunch of boys and drive all over the country yeah so we have to figure out 
how to support these girls. We have to figure out how to get them out on the road in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, we got to get them out there. And, and, and some of them know. I mean, I'm working with a girl right now. She's 19 years old. She's been getting in a car since she was 16, 17, driving all over the country, booking her own shows. But, you know, th- those are rare. Yeah. Ashley McBrides are, you know, I mean, yeah. some, you know, most of these girls, they, they come to town and they go to Belmont and they're, you know, and, and, and they're going, okay, I'm, I'm a great singer. I'm working so hard. I'm writing songs. What do I do? Yeah. And we go, well, you need, you need to be touring. You got to get your socials up and you need to get on the road. And they're going, how, what, what? Yeah. How do I go find five guys, or four guys that are going to get on the road and not get paid anything, and drive around the country? Well, with not me? to mention to play in some of the places they'd have to play for four hours and not get worn out or not, you know. But you know what? Stigma. They can do it. If oh we, yeah, they can do it. If we give them permission and we tell them they can do it, yeah. and we give them some kind of inroad, you know, a lot of times used to you'd get a manager early. You'd get a manager early on that would help navigate that. Yeah. And managers aren't willing to work for, you know, there's there's no, none of those baby managers anymore. Yeah. Because to be a manager, you got to be really good. Mm-hmm. And there's some incredible managers out there. To add to that, can you say in the 90s we had a different A&R situation? Absolutely. We, people were developing talent. The record labels were developing and talent. supporting the talent. Yes, and mm-hmm. um, today, do you genuinely think it's the best A and R situation where they're going? Uh, you know, I always blame the creative output of our town on the people that are making the music because they're the ones picking what we hear. So they got to take some responsibility in what they're signing and what they're pushing on on the yeah. public. I, I'm a big believer in that. That maybe they're not finding the right ones. Maybe they're not pushing the right ones on us. Well. I don't know what the reasons are for signing an artist. I, I don't. If it's if it's socials and all that stuff, I don't get that because that's not real. Yeah. How, I mean, we all know that that's not really real. So, um, you know, there are people that you can hire to make you mm-hmm. have like tons of impressions, yeah. and and then all of a sudden you're like really hot, and you've got a, a record deal. But there's a lot behind it, and, and it works, you know, because the label gets behind them, and you know they they've got this machine behind them. So I, I don't know. I don't know that they get to get out and dig for yeah. things. I mean, finding something through youtube and i mean it i guess it works i don't know i'm just wondering too if some people and they're afraid to commit maybe because they're afraid of it not working and maybe not wanting to stick their neck out um for people i mean like you know you're signing your writers like you said emily what eight years yeah before you know jason how long did you work with him before but there's something you see in these people and you stick with it right and so i think it's really hard sometimes for these young artists coming to know who to trust yeah. And like you said, if, if you don't have the money behind you, it's like, who's going to do it for free? Well, and I think I think there's more people coming in wanting record deals and wanting mm-hmm. to do this. And, and there's so many different reasons to sign people. And so I think the label sign a lot of people, a lot of acts, and it takes a long time yeah. to get. You know, if you go back and look at, if you go back and look at the 90s and the MCA days. Yeah. 
they signed an act and they made it happen. They mm-hmm. did everything in their power to make it happen. They didn't sign five bands. They didn't sign, you know, what? They had Reba and George and, you know. Um, the they, Mavericks, you know, David Lee Murphy. David they, Lee Murphy, they had all Mark Chestnut. Yeah. Mark, but I can remember when they would find those acts and sign them and put everything behind yeah. them. They, I believe, mean, they believed in them. Everybody knew who they were. You know, now it's like there's just so many. Yeah. Well, but take this concept one more step further. A&R isn't operating. The people that are signing acts aren't operating like you do or like me. They're not signing people on gut. They're signing people on some type of information they're getting. They, they're not walking into a strip mall at a talent show going, that person's a star and I'm going to work with them until that happens. They're walking in going, that person's awesome. What's your socials look like? How are you doing? How many video streams yeah. you got? What do you got going on? There's nobody in that situation, I don't think, these days that are operating off that gut emotion yeah. of, man, I love you and I'm going to die. I'm going to push and, and ram this into the country music fans until they love it. But I bet if you ask most of them, they wish that they their jobs were still like that. Yeah, I bet they I wish agree. that they were still walking in and, and traveling around and and seeing people on a stage. You I don't know? Know, it started changing in that, you know, when we were, I couldn't get anybody out to showcases because it was after six. People just quit going out listening well, to music. And there's nothing worse in this town than a showcase. I know. <laughs> I mean. Once you say showcase, I, they're walking in to pass. Well, they're just, it's just such a terrible environment. Yeah. You know, it's, we, we don't, nobody smiles everybody's arms are crossed there's no party and you're going oh and by the way this is life or death Mm -hmm. yeah today in 30 minutes is going to determine your future all your dreams will be killed in 30 minutes or the the, you know just doesn't it's just it's crazy boardroom oh listen i don't even (laughs) want to talk about that this taking them in and then you, the, everybody sitting in a chair and making them stand up in the room and sing. Yeah. Done. Yeah. We'll never do that to yeah. another one of my artists yeah. again. Isn't that terrible? But, but, Sorry, whoever's listening. It's but true, it though, is it's terrible. It's not fair. No. Hey, guys, it's Shalacy. Check us out on the web at KnoxCountry360.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnoxCountry360. But also these days, a lot of the artists can get a lot of attention on socials and not ever earn their stripes playing live. And then you sign them and you're like, oh, my God, this person. We have to go teach them how this to person step, doesn't know how stage. to entertain. They don't know how to how to do an audience. So it's such a trick right now to find those creative kind of situations where it all lines up great for you. It's crazy. I mean, there's just no characters anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember Marty Brown? Oh, yeah. Remember, didn't they find Marty Brown in the gutter or something? Yeah. yeah. And he was amazing. He was amazing. But I've always said our format has great singers singing great songs, but we don't have a lot of artists. We don't. And I think that's my... My push on the creative leaders in town is they're not signing artists anymore. They're signing singers that sound great on these demos that are put together by some engineer laptop. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating for me. But, um, you know, when you have something you believe in and they're like, well, what are their socials? And I'm like, well, I just found them. But they're ready, man. This is it. This guy's been playing the clubs. This is ready to go. Or this girl's yeah, been playing. Yeah, but give me $5,000 and I'll, I'll show you some mm-hmm. socials. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can do that in a couple of weeks. I just, yeah. I miss 
you know, I just remember these these strong females. You know, these these forces. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think is wrong. They all think they have to write their own songs. Yeah, I agree with that. Thank you. And yeah. look at Let's the- talk about if Trisha Yearwood had somebody had said, you want to try and get a record deal, you need to go write songs. Yeah. So was she going to take two, three years? I mean... You know, we and have a writer. Good. You yeah, know? they have to learn how to write, and they have to find their voice. But you can also take there. This is the town of the best songs in the world, and so yeah. you just kind of have to take them. And we've got to change that mentality of they don't have to write all their songs. I know that's good for the publisher, but they'll learn how to write. Mm-hmm. Go, go get them the yeah. best song. That they could possibly get, Patty Loveless, and have them cut those songs mm-hmm. and go get. That's the thing. It just it. We got into this mindset of everybody has to write their own songs. Yeah. Do you think that was a crutch that was kind of used, maybe? No, that was invented in the '90s so people could collect more money off so the, off a share and the labels. I mean, my, my, a lot of my female, my favorite female artists didn't write. Yeah, you said Patty Loveless. Yes. I mean. Um, I mean, Reba didn't really. I mean, no. you know, I mean, some of the biggest acts, male or female, didn't. Jason doesn't write. Mm-hmm. But you do you know? remember when it started getting bad? Oh yeah, it, it was like when um, I can start telling you the artists that shouldn't have been writing their songs. They were incredible <laughs> when they came out because they did other people's songs, and then yeah. suddenly they were songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> <laughs> we remember we saw it happen. Yes. Yeah, the, the late 90s, it was really kicking in hard mm-hmm. where where that became the regular thing. And now it's now it's almost a regular thing. And whenever I have these artists coming in with me right now, I'm like going, well, dude, why, why write that? We have this one. I already have a song that, that you're not going to beat. Let's just cut this one. Well, I want to be able to write so people respect me. And I'm like, well, why don't you have a hit so they'll care to know you? Yes, mm-hmm. you that's know, great. Let, let's do that. But don't sing a song you don't love. But don't try to beat a song that you love just because your name ain't on it. Right. It's that's true. I mean, I'm I've got a girl right now I'm working on. We did three outside songs. She wrote two of them, and they were good and they fit. But everything else, she didn't write. We just went and found the best songs for her. And why is it wrong to not say, "Hey, I love this song, and I'm respecting the songwriters. This is their craft. This is what they're they're good at. This is what they're meant to do." To me, that shows even more respect because knowing that you know i couldn't possibly write a song like you know a neil thrasher could write so it's like why try well here's the other thing though is that because publishers are now a and r people what else is in it they need that artist to be writing or how can they invest in them selfish question but i love tchotchkes i love you know shopping and stuff you're like my house i know she's putting it down i just read somewhere sorry that, i got thirsty that you were um you kind of like maybe dabble and you, you enjoy mm. maybe finding things and i do i love to shop see so is it just is it everything or is it like see because i don't like to shop for clothes but i'll go look for something for my house that i don't need i love to watch for rugs I really love So do you rugs. have like 3,000 rugs in your house? Pretty much. In my garage. <laughs> in is, this, my... is this the part of the show where we're QVC? <laughs> this is a selfish thing because I like finding... See, I like thrift stores and just... I, I do too. I just don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time to do that. And, and so like if I go shopping, 
I go in and I want this, this, this. My business manager hates me. <laughs> and I grab it and I go and I'm out. That's yeah. I'm not a I'm not a an all day shopper. I'm a quick shopper. I mean I I can walk through the flea market and find a couple of cool things, but I'm real fast about looking for yeah. it. Yeah. Like, like I I went to the flea market about three years ago and walked in and found a Dolly Parton pinball machine. Bought it out. First thing I saw, really? bought it. I was gone. See, I'm all about the hunt. I'm not a browser. I'm, I'm not a I'm hunter. I'm a hunter. See, I, oh, oh. I'm a, I like books, though. I like collecting old books. I'm a finder and a buyer, and I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to go hunting through there and finding that conjuring doll and bring it home with me. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Liz Rose, this has been amazing. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters in town, because I love your story, love your path, and love where you're headed now. So this is awesome, and I love that you're here. Yeah. And um, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Knox Country. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. You've entered Knox Country Outtakes. Hey, this is Liz Rose, and you're listening to Cry Pretty by Carrie Underwood. We have to talk about that. How do we not talk about that song? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Forget him. Okay. So... <laughs> Cry Pretty. Mm-hmm. Huge song and a huge... Oh, damn it. We're men. We have hair. It's a different deal. Not not where we want it either. It's not a pleasure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. TMI, TMI. I'm not saying go find them in the gutters, but I'm just saying. But can you imagine the ones we're missing out? Because nobody's going... Because <laughs> they're not checking the gutters? They're not. You know, they don't have no. Facebook accounts. That was such a... No. Cut that out. Don't, no. don't put that in there. That was stupid, Liz. <laughs> yep. But then yeah. it's like it's killing us, you know. It's like well, we got just, too we 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 got too serious. Okay, <laughs> let's whatever. I'm so teasing. so okay. If you're first, you're last. I mean, if you're last, you're first. Well, and now, that was what, the, what, what is it? If you're not first, you're last. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But before if we you're move, first, you're last. <laughs> I need my own damn record label so I can sign some of this damn talent. This will be on the podcast. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> hey y'all, this is Liz Rose. Oh y'all. <laughs> That's awesome. Knox Country Podcast Edition.